in Rule 506C, you can only admit accredited investors, those relatively wealthy people, and you have to do some stuff to make sure that they are accredited. Two, the big, big change under 506C, you can advertise. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention DoorDevil. You know what? I need to mention DoorDevil. I need to mention DoorDevil to you. It's not just a want. It's a need because you need this. DoorDevil, quite simply, defends your home against kick-in burglary attacks. They happen frequently. There are 1.4 million homes that are broken into every year, and a lot of them are done through kick-ins. If you've got a home security system, then props to you. I'm glad you've got that, and that's important. But it doesn't prevent the bad people from kicking in your door, whether it's your front door, your back door, your side door. You need something like the Door Devil, and Door Devil is the best in the business when it comes to providing proof that it works. You can go to doordevil.com and even watch a video with Terry Bradshaw talking about it. And you can see how it works. It's a very simple product to install. But if you're not into that, then you can just hire a handy person and they can can install it for you. Very simple. Put it inside the door frame of your front door, your back door, every door you have. And you can defend your home against the kick-in burglary attacks. It's needed. In addition, this is my brother's company. So it's near and dear to my heart. And because it's my brother's company, I'm able to offer you an exclusive discount because he was so kind to do so. You can go when you check out your uh, purchase at doordevil.com and there's going to be a little field. You enter the word best ever, no space, just one word, best, B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R, and you'll get a 20% discount on your purchase. So go to doordevil.com, go buy it. Enter best ever and secure your home against kick-in burglary attacks. There are so many testimonials on the website. You can read them from police officers, from a woman who is being, uh, her house is being attacked from an enraged ex-husband and the door devil defended that attack. Uh, He didn't get in. There's like 20 different testimonials from police officers on the door devil Go buy it. Defend your home against burglary kick-in attacks. Go to doordevil.com and enter the word best ever whenever you check out and you'll get 20% off on your purchase. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff. We don't talk about it. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And well, I hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Happy Sunday. And because it's Sunday, we're going to do a special segment that we call Skill Set Sunday, where after our conversation, you're going to come away with a specific skill. And for all of you money raising investors or investors who are wanting to invest in different opportunities, listen up, my friends, because we're going to be talking about securities law and we're going to be talking about it with a securities law expert. How you doing? Mark Roderick. I am doing absolutely fantastic, Joe. How are you? I am doing absolutely fantastic as well. I love that. A little bit about Mark, and then we'll get into it. He has more than 25 years of experience as an attorney, and he has an in-depth knowledge on capital raising and securities law. He spearheads 
his law firm's crowdfunding practice. He's at Flaster Greenberg is his law firm. He's based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he works with investors. He works with issuers, and he'll talk about this, and he works with portals or crowdfunding platforms in that capacity. So with that being said, Mark, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Well, I would be happy to, yes. I've represented entrepreneurs and real estate developers and folks like that for many, many years. Um, And of course, one thing those folks are always doing is trying to raise money. So I've always been involved in the capital formation business. I always say that if you find a real estate developer who is not trying to raise money, call 911 (laughs) because there's probably something wrong. So with that background, when the crowdfunding laws came onto the scene back in 2012, I realized that this was going to be an incredibly disruptive, exciting, transformative event that was going to change the entire capital formation industry in this country. So I decided to make it my business to learn all about those rules and become involved with the industry. So that's what I've done. And for the last two or three years, I do nothing but crowdfunding all day, every day. It is a booming industry. And you were referred to me by someone I respect in the real estate investing industry who works with you. He's your client and he's like, you've got to talk to Mark. He knows his stuff and he's going to be able to break it down for your best ever listeners. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Well, well wait, Joe, I got to ask you. So now having spoken with me, do you still respect him? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, we well, we've had a conversation already. The jury's still out because it's I've got to see you perform in front of the best ever listeners. Okay. So so you did great on the dry run, but now it's game time, baby. <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> so the specific skill we're going to talk about today is determining if you're raising money, if you should set up a 506B or a 506C offering. So Mark, can you tell us first what the heck they are and then let's then we'll get into the pros and cons? Yes, absolutely. So we'll, we'll sort of go backward in time for about 30 years. About 30 years ago, well going on 35 now, back in 1982, the SEC issued what is called Regulation D, as in David. Many of your listeners have probably heard that phrase. Regulation D is a set of rules that allows smaller companies to raise money easily without going through a whole public registration process the way you know a big company like Facebook would. So Regulation D has a number of rules, cubby holes, or we call them exemptions, And with each rule, you follow the exemptions, the rules, you know, the requirements of that rule, and that means you you get to go past go, collect $200, and you don't go to jail for securities fraud. And the most popular piece of Regulation D for the last 34 years has been what's called Rule 506. And Rule 506 allows real estate developers or other private companies to raise an unlimited amount of money, which is great. And if you are dealing only with accredited investors, 
I'll just take a little tangent. Many of your listeners probably know what that means, but an accredited investor is someone with income of at least 200,000 or net worth of at least a million. And back in 1982, that was a lot of money. It's not so much money these days, but the limits haven't changed. Okay, so rule 506 has always allowed you to raise as much money as you want from as many accredited investors as you want and up to 35 non-accredited investors, otherwise known as regular people. So that is how Rule 506 has operated for the last 34 years, and it is an extremely popular and often used exemption in the securities laws. I just can't even count how many trillions of dollars have been raised under Rule 506. The one thing about Rule 506, which has been true for every kind of exemption under Regulation D, is that you weren't allowed to advertise. You couldn't have a radio ad or a TV ad or a website or any other kind of advertisement. The idea being that if you were advertising, then that would be a public offering. And in a public offering, you have to do what Facebook does and spend millions of dollars to file a bunch of stuff with the SEC. So Rule 506, very, very popular, very well used, no advertising. Well, how do you raise the money if you can't advertise then? How are they doing it? Your buddies, your private network. So Joe Fairless wants to raise money for development. He goes to his 14 closest buddies. He calls his accountant. He calls his lawyer. He calls his investment banker. Whom do you know? So it's through a series of private networks. That's the answer. It was a very good question. And so it matters a lot and always has. Whom you know, right? Who was your father? Do you belong to a country club or do you You know, are you born in Camden, New Jersey, or are you born in Silicon Valley, California? And that matters a whole lot. And how do you define buddies in private network? Well, um, there's no great definition. It's someone with whom you have an existing relationship. So there can be close calls as to whether, for example, you and I have spoken a couple times, had some fun. Do we have a close enough relationship for you to be in my private network and me and yours, probably so, yes. But what we do know is that if I have a real estate deal and just put a website up and now I'm advertising it to you know 100 million strangers, I certainly don't have a relationship with them. So that has always been prohibited, okay? Is there a three-touch rule that is, well, if there is one, is that valid? The three-touch rule doesn't exist. Just like there's people talk about a 30-day waiting period, that doesn't exist either. These rules, quote-unquote, are trying to kind of put a neat packaging around a concept that you really can't package neatly. It really is about a pre-existing relationship that a relationship can arise in a number of different ways and a number of different contexts. So there's no shorthand for it. But what we do know, and this is the important thing, we know when it doesn't exist, right? That website appealing to the whole universe, we are not appealing to our 100 million closest buddies. Those are all strangers. And so we had this rule under 506, no advertising. 
Then the Jobs Act comes along and crowdfunding comes alive. And there are different flavors of crowdfunding, and maybe we'll talk about those on another segment of yours. But the simplest and easiest is called Title II crowdfunding, and that's for the section of the Jobs Act where it appears. Title II crowdfunding just makes a little change to old-fashioned Rule 506. What used to be 506 is now called 506B, as in Bravo. The new crowdfunding-friendly part of 506 is in a new subsection, 506C, as in Charlie. And 506C, as in Charlie, is very, very similar to 506B, or it wouldn't be in the same subsection, with two important caveats. One, in Rule 506C, you can only admit accredited investors, those relatively wealthy people, and you have to do some stuff to make sure that they are accredited. That's one change. Two, the big, big change is that unlike at any time in the previous 80-year history of the American securities laws, under 506C, you can advertise. And it's always a trick question I ask panelists at conferences, what kind of advertising are you not allowed to do under Rule 506C? And they furrow their brow and they say, I don't know. And I say, yeah, it's a trick question because the answer is none. You can do any kind of advertising under Rule 506C. You can use the internet, which is of course what everyone does. You can use TV, you can use radio. You can hire one of those airplanes down at the shore and drag a banner through the sky. Any kind of advertising you want is permitted under Rule 506C, and that is a huge, huge change. With 506B is the previous version, right? And then 506C. Okay, so 506B, you mentioned that you have accredited investors and then up to 35 non-accredited investors. Do they have to be sophisticated investors? They have to say they're sophisticated. They have to sign a piece of paper that says either I'm sophisticated or I'm relying on an advisor who is himself or herself sophisticated. So that's, a, that's an excellent question. The non-accredited have to be sophisticated, but I have never come across a situation where that proves to be a problem because everyone who wants to invest in the deal is willing to say that they're sophisticated. Now with 506C, you can only admit accredited investors, but you have to do some stuff to make sure they are accredited. What specifically do you have to do? Well, the law doesn't tell you quite specifically. You have to do whatever it takes, and the law uses the phrase reasonable steps to form a reasonable belief that the person is accredited. However, there are a few things that the law says you're allowed to rely on. One, you get a letter from the investor's accountant, lawyer, or investment advisor saying, yes, this person is accredited. You get that letter, that's enough. You can also actually check using tax returns. You can ask to see the person's W-2 or 1040. You can ask to see brokerage statements to see check their the person's net worth. The simplest 
thing of all to do, however, and what is done almost uniformly in the crowdfunding industry is there are third party companies that have sprung up. One of them, for example, is called Verify Investor. And by the name of the company, you can imagine what it does. It does the verification for you. So you're the issuer. What you do is hire that company and for a very reasonable price, they will do the verification and send you a letter saying we verified that this person is accredited. I'm curious why you would go the third party route when it seems like a letter from an accountant, a lawyer or an investment advisor would be the easiest, most seamless process. Well, there's actually a very good reason, and that is as follows. Suppose you're doing the verifications yourself and an investor falls through the cracks, okay? You think you verified he or she is accredited. He or she turns out not to be accredited, and the deal goes south, and people are looking for ways to sue you. If you did it yourself, you leave yourself open to the claim that your whole system was not reasonable, that you were negligent, that it was really BS, that you did not act reasonably to verify that people are accredited. And so you get into a big lawsuit and it's a factual dispute and your office manager testifies, no, you never told her about anything about you know, verifying that investors are accredited, even though you did because she forgot. So you get into this big fight that it's very difficult to win. On the other hand, conversely, if you hire a third party, the mere act of hiring them is going to be treated as a reasonable step. So you are home free merely by having hired them without ever having to litigate whether you were reasonable. When you look at 506B versus 506C, are there any timing differences as far as registering it or putting it together? Not really. The one caveat is if you want to include non-accredited investors, you know, you have a, a half dozen folks and they'd like to invest some money and you want to take their money, but you know they're not accredited. Of course, you can only use Rule 506B, but then what Rule 506B says is that if you do have non-accredited investors, you have to put together a much thicker and more detailed informational package than you would if everyone were an accredited investor. So practically speaking, if there are going to be non-accredited, it takes tends to take longer because you just have to put together more stuff. Roughly how many pages is 506B versus 506C? <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe it's 10 or 15 more pages but it's more detail. For example, in 506B, as in Bravo, if you're a real estate developer, you have to give very, very detailed information about your past projects, very detailed information. The number of pages isn't that relevant, but the amount of time it takes to compile those spreadsheets is actually quite significant. So that's the kind of thing that you run into. When you look at drafting up 506B and C, how much does it cost to hire an attorney to do this? It's going to vary a lot. <laughs> um, 
in the crowdfunding world where things have become a lot more efficient than they used to be, the cost has dropped fairly significantly. It used to be that, you know, if someone asked how much a private offering was going to cost, it could be, you know, $30,000, $40,000. Today, it's probably going to cost more like fifteen, as in one five, as opposed to five zero. And it can vary. It can be less than that. It can be more than that, depending on circumstances. But you're, you're probably looking at, at that range. And how much time does it take to draft up? Ideally, in a perfect world where everyone is doing only this and everyone's paying attention, you know, you can do it in a week. In the real world where everyone has other stuff to do and people have doctor's appointments and dentist appointments and, and wives and children and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it usually ends up taking two to three weeks. When you uh, work with investors to draft this up, and you do both, right? 506B and 506C? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. When do you want them to bring you in on the process? As soon as possible. It, it's always more cost effective the earlier I get involved because I can push things in, in cost effective directions in the beginning and help make efficient decisions or decisions that are efficient from a securities law point of view. And will you give an exa- a specific example? Because I'm sure the best ever listeners are like, well, okay, how, how does bringing in an attorney charging however much an hour earlier make sense from a financial standpoint? Sure. Um, I mean, one example is a person comes in and says, I already put my website up for the deal <laughs> and I want to bring in these 10 non-accredited investors who are going to invest a total of $250,000. And the answer is, well, you goofed because you have a website up that's advertising. It means you can't do a Rule 506B offering, which means you can't have any non-accredited investors. So that's a simple example, but that example does happen. And what type of liability does that open up the investor to who does that? Like, what, what are the ramifications? The ramifications, if you do it wrong, are potentially quite serious. You know, theoretically, you can have liability to the SEC and state securities regulators and so forth. But in practice, what it really means is if you screw up, you know, you're using other people's money because it's other people's money, right? It's not your money. And so if the deal goes south, too bad, you're sorry, but it was their money. But if you screw up from a securities law point of view, it's very likely that your investors who have lost money have the right to get their money back from you personally, which defeated the entire purpose of using their money. So it's really that personal liability back to your investors that is in practical terms the most significant risk. Have you seen the SEC or state security regulators proactively go after people without a complaint being lodged against a disgruntled investor? Well, usually that's the only way that the the securities regulator knows that something is going on. And the securities regulators typically 
like any government regulator, the Environmental Protection Agency or the IRS or anything like that, typically going out after the most egregious cases, the easiest cases from which the regulator can get the most publicity. So if you get, let's say you, you do a deal and by accident you advertise on the internet for 10 days before you talk to me and then you bring in a non-accredited investor. I mean, the SEC is not coming after you for that. <laughs> Just wasn't that big of an infraction. But your investors who lost their money are coming after you for it. Makes sense, as they should. Well, Mark, is there anything that we haven't talked about as it relates to 506B and 506C that you wanted to mention to best ever listeners? The only thing I'll add is this, that people ask me, well, which should I do? And the answer to that is always you should do Rule 506C, as in Charlie, because you can advertise. You can advertise to the whole world, and who could turn that down? The only caveat being you can't take any non-accredited investors. But the caveat is, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but under Rule 506B, you're allowed to rely on your what your investors say about their accredited status. They can self-verify. And what that means in turn is that some people lie. <laughs> and developers might want those people in their deals. So on a very, very nuts and bolts practical level, if you use Rule 506C, people are not going to be able to lie. Now, as a securities lawyer, I'm totally fine with that. I don't want them to lie. And I don't want my developer clients bringing non-accredited investors into deals. But there is that little practical issue. Boy, this was so informative, Mark. I just love this conversation. I know the best ever listeners did too. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful. And thank you for walking us through 506B versus 506C offerings. As you said, 506B in the past has been popular. And if it's up to you, then 506C will be continue to be more popular because, as you said, it allows you to advertise. I love the trick question that you ask in conferences. What kind of advertising can't you do under 506C? Dot, dot, dot. None. There is no type of advertising you can't do. You can do any type of advertising under 506C. However, you got to make sure that you're only admitting accredited investors along the way and uh, you have a some sort of verification process in place. And thank you for going through the cost, the timing, the ramifications. Boy, just so much good information. Where can the best ever listeners get in contact with you? The best way to get in contact with me is through my blog, which is www.markroderick.net. And I think you're going to provide that information, yep. www.markroderick.net. And that has my phone number and my email address and 14 other ways to get in contact with me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I hope you have a best ever weekend, Mark, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Joe. I've enjoyed it. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289, his company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.